0: So what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting
1: bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Hello and welcome to the Money Nerds podcast, where owning a calculator, budgeting your money, and having a net worth is actually cool. I'm your host, Whitney Hansen, and each week I'll be chatting with inspiring people to learn their secrets to financial success. Now let's dive into the show life is unpredictable. Sometimes that's in great ways where you get these really amazing opportunities that you never thought coming your way. And sometimes that means really horrifically tragic things that could happen to us. And we don't really like to talk about the tragic things that can happen because we don't want to imagine what our life could be like if something bad were to happen to us. And unfortunately, that is a reality for a lot of people. And that's why I was so excited to Bring on this expert, Krista St. Germain, about grief and coaching yourself through grief, or if a loved one is grieving, how to help them. It was a really impactful episode. Let me tell you a little bit about Krista's background. She's a master certified life coach, grief expert, widow, mom, and host of the Widowed Mom podcast. When her husband was killed by a drunk driver in 2016, Krista's life was completely flipped upside down. And while it would have been easy to believe her best days were behind her, thankfully, Krista discovered life coaching and post-traumatic growth and was able to move forward and create a future she could get excited about. Now she coaches and teaches other widows so that they can love life again, too. We cover a lot of ground in this episode. We talk a lot about how Krista got into life coaching after going through loss and grief, what the philosophy of post-traumatic growth is all about, how to support people in their grief when you can't completely empathize or you can't really relate to what they're going through. She gives some really good tips about how you can still be supportive. Thought downloads and what that is and a little bit about the coaching model that Krista teaches. We talk about going cold turkey from an established career to an entirely different career in coaching. This is important because she and her, her former husband work together And so that, that career was actually quite a bit of a trigger for her. So this was a really interesting conversation. We, she shares tips for couples in preparation for unexpected death of a spouse, like what we should actually be doing. She talks about this concept of the wealth purgatory, which was really good because I have not heard this before, but it's basically why large sums of money don't necessarily make people happy. And then how to identify a good coach for you. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. I know the topic is sometimes a bit of a downer, but it's very important. And I was very excited to bring Krista on to talk about this topic that we often avoid. I hope you guys enjoy this. If you do, do me the biggest favor, take a screenshot. Let me know you're listening in. Tag me on Instagram. I'm at Whitney underscore Hanson underscore co and find Krista on Instagram too. And make sure you let her know that you appreciate her vulnerability and courage with sharing her story and helping so many people go through what could be the most horrific time of their lives. All right, I'm going to turn the mic over to Krista. Let's go ahead and dive in. Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode. I am so excited to be joined by Krista St. Germain, who actually coached me personally. So I'm really excited. This is like small world full circle, but Krista, it's so good to have you on the show.
0: It is small world, full circle. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you, Whitney.
1: You helped me so much with just some of the, the we call it mind drama that I had <laughs> mm-hmm. regarding my business, and I appreciated that approach. And so I'm curious, how did you get into life coaching? Because you're very good at it, but how did you get to that process?
0: Thank you. Um, so my husband died. <laughs> Fun story. Um, that's actually what led me to life coaching. I had been listening to a life coach before that happened. And honestly, not even interested in becoming a life coach at all. I just was always interested in, in personal growth and development and happened to stumble upon a life coach whose podcast resonated with me. So I had her in kind of in the back of my head when my husband died, but um, you know, long story somewhat shorter completely unexpected. Um, We had been on a trip together and I had a flat tire. We had driven separately. He pulled up behind me on the interstate. He was going to change the tire on my car. And as he was trying to get to the tire that was in my trunk, a driver came up that, you know, didn't even break nothing. We later found out he had meth and alcohol in his system, but hit the back of Hugo's car and trapped him in between his car and mine. And so just, you know, life fully ripped out from underneath me in a flash. And so, um, therapy of course helped me get like back on my feet and, you know, get myself out of the fetal position and get back to work. And then I reached that point, which a lot of widows reach, which is where we're functioning, but robotic. Yeah. Right. And so like, I kind of, knew there had to be more to life. And I, I I had heard of post-traumatic growth, but I didn't really have an idea of how to do that for myself. And I just reached that point where everyone was telling me I was strong, but I wasn't feeling strong. And I was kind of secretly worried that, you know, the best days were behind me and that like true happiness I had, that was my shot. And you know, he was it. And, um, I just got, I think it was just divine timing to be honest, that the, the life coach that I had been following launched a program that was accessible to me at the exact time that I was ready for it. And so I did her program as a participant, had an amazing experience and it wasn't even grief specific, right? It was just general life coaching, but it was, it gave me tools. I like tools and strategies and tactics. And like, I want to be able to take action. I just don't want to just talk, you know? And so that's what life coaching gave me. And, and I just decided I have to share this. I have to be part of this. And so I went to certification and quit my job. And that was. Whoa. And just dove in full force. just dove in because, you know, I, I could see the power of it, but I could see the absence of life coaching for grief. I could see the absence of specifically women. You know, I was 40 when my husband died and all the widows that I knew were way older than me. No one in my social circle had young children or could relate to that experience in midlife. And so Mm -hmm. that's what I really wanted to create for other people was to help them figure out once I figured it out for myself that, you know, whatever happens to us, even if it's not what we wanted, we still get to choose our response to it and we don't have to, you know, be unhappy or what really happens is we kind of just like resign ourselves to being mediocre, you know, yeah. Well, I'll just get used to my new normal,
1: which basically means
0: settle for this life I don't really want because... You know, we don't know how powerful we are and we don't know how powerful our minds are.
1: I can imagine, too, there's an element of of almost guilt for feeling happy or wanting to feel happy.
0: I coach on that all the time.
1: Yes. really? Yes.
0: It, it's like we're damned if we do and we're damned if we don't if we don't feel happy, we're telling ourselves we should feel happier. If we do feel happy, we're telling ourselves we didn't love them enough, you know, and we're doing it wrong or, you know, um, yeah, lots of judgments about feelings, but for sure I, I, I went through that. Right. But I also had, I think in my ear, a very encouraging voice from my husband, like I genuinely believed he would want me to be happy. And so it made it a lot easier for me.
1: And not everyone has that. No, they don't. And I think that's why I love how you mentioned it was Divine timing of finding this program, and I, I often wonder how often do we have divine timings in our lives that we ignore? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just crazy. Yeah, I think it's because we're
0: not necessarily looking for it. True, right? I think we find what we seek, and so if we're seeking like miracles and little things, and you know, divine timing, then we tend to to our brain shows us that if we don't yeah. look for it, we don't see it. And most of us just aren't really ever training our minds to look for those things
1: mmm totally fair when you were talking about it you mentioned something that I think you called post-traumatic growth is that correct yeah can you talk about like what what does that even mean actually yeah so
0: post-traumatic growth came along in the 90s so kind of before um, post-traumatic growth, People really thought that after a trauma or a tragedy, that the most you could hope for was just kind of a return to that baseline, that you could kind of bounce back to where you were before the trauma or the tragedy. And post-traumatic growth um, came along. And it, you know, if you want to read more about it, there's um, some amazing books out there. But Tedeschi and Calhoun are the two researchers that coined the phrase in the mid-90s. And what they learned through their research was that you can actually take a trauma or a tragedy or any any significantly challenging like life event and use that as leverage to grow, right? You can mm. actually grow in, in ways that deepen your life satisfaction and you can find more meaning in life, deeper connections with other people, deeper spiritual connections. And, and truly, instead of just bounce back, you can bounce forward.
1: Hmm, I love that idea too, because I think that's so applicable to any life traumas that we go through, being able to to use that as a stepping stone to say, hey, it doesn't have to just go back to normal. It can actually be better in a weird way. That's a really interesting concept. I'm curious too, when you were going through this process, take us back to like one day where you were going through life coaching and it was maybe a really crappy day and you had a message and you're like, okay, this is it. Like, I really have to get my stuff together. I'm done. Did you have any like specific days or was it like a combination of, multiple crappy days with the coaching to help you get through this? Yeah. Multiple crappy days. Um,
0: yeah, it felt like just a lot of little moments adding up a lot of little choices, a lot of little, um, insight into what I was creating with my thinking, Mm. right. That consistently over time turned into transformation
1: that makes sense. What was your support system like too when you were when you were grieving?
0: It was really amazing. Um, I had so I was the event that we were we were coming home from was sponsored by my sorority. Oh okay. And of course, you know I was 40, but I was very and am an active alumna in my sorority, and so I mean at the hospital, those women they just came out of the woodworks. So I had phenomenal support from them. My children's uh, school was incredible. Um, okay. They were in elementary school at the time. All those teachers rallied so hard. Interestingly enough, some of them were my sorority sisters. Um, I worked, Hugo and I worked together at the same company. Mm. And so I I think had a really unique experience. For some people, going back to work is kind of an escape from the loss. For me, it wasn't an escape. It was I was reminded of, of it at every turn, but also it was really comforting because I had all of these people who loved him. Some of them knew him longer than I did. He'd been there 20 years. I'd only been yeah. there 10. Right? and so i just had and my family was amazing so i hit the jackpot when it comes to support and a lot of people don't have that
1: no they don't but sometimes i think the online world is so beautiful and if you don't have that in person support system you can kind of no i don't want to say substitute but you can you can kind of complement it by finding a group of people going through similar experiences Yeah.
0: And anymore, I I just did an episode of my podcast on disenfranchised grief, you know, which is where your Mm. culture is basically not recognizing your grief or your loss as valid. And that's one of the the major things that I think we have in this day and age is that we really can find a support group for almost anything online now. So even if, you know, you live in a community or a culture that doesn't support whatever your loss was, you can surely find it if you look.
1: Tell us about your podcast. So it's called the Widowed Mom Podcast. When did you launch it? What was your inspiration behind it? Who is it really for? Yeah. So it's called the Widowed Mom Podcast, aptly named. <laughs> <It's for laughs> totally. widowed moms. But
0: it really is more than that. I get a lot of feedback from people who just are looking to learn more about grief or, you know, growth after grief, post-traumatic growth. Um, and they find it very valuable, too. But I held off launching it. it, it It was hard for me. I wanted to launch it immediately. I was terrified of launching it, but also really wanted to do it. And I held off at the advice of my coach. Mm -hmm. um, And I had been coaching for about a year and a half when I actually finally launched the podcast. So that was the 2019. I don't know. All the years blur together. I'm uh, I'm up I'm around you upwards of a hundred episodes you know somewhere around there so it's been going. Congrats weekly episode yeah I love it
1: I love it. That's amazing. But I'm a podcast listener so yeah of course
0: it's easy to love.
1: And you also have your own coaching programs too. Are you still doing that today? Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. I don't really do much one-on-one coaching anymore, but I do a group program. So all widows, all moms, you know, we spend six months together and really just helping them figure out, you know, how to do what I did, which is just how to love your life again. And it's and, you know, it's such a beautiful experience. I don't know how you feel about this, but, you know, especially with grief, I did so much one-on-one coaching. And I think we all just have this inclination that whatever's hard you know or whatever we notice it isn't going the way that we want it to go we tend to assume that it's just us there's something like fundamentally flawed within us or you know like we're the special snowflake that's broken and Um, I just kept seeing over and over and over the same conversations, the same trends, the same stuff. And so finally, you know, a couple of years ago, I got to the point where I said, okay, we got to be in a group here. Yeah. I got to get all these women together because we can make progress so much faster when they can see, oh, it's not just me. I'm not the only one that struggles there. You know, this is the normal part of grief or being human.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that format makes so much sense too for a group program. Like even I do financial coaching, so I do one-on-one, mm-hmm. but in this case, that community and that support system that is such a great resource that you're offering because they don't find it in
0: their No. They most of them don't know other women who have had a similar life experience.
1: It's not like common coffee talk, you know? No, not at all. And I think even then, which I mean this is it's such a difficult conversation to navigate, but as somebody who went through this extreme trauma, how do people like me who have not experienced the loss of a spouse, how do we communicate or talk or like support somebody that's going through all of this trauma? Like, Is there a best way to show up for your friends that are going through this? Yeah, it's such a good question to ask. And
0: I wish the answer was really, really simple. (laughs) Totally right. Unfortunately, it's a little nuanced sometimes. But I think, you know, some guiding principles, one is just like be compassionate with yourself. You're probably going to stick your foot in your mouth and don't be afraid to talk to the person about their loss, even if it doesn't come out exactly the way that you had intended it to. I think sometimes we walk around on eggshells a little bit with people who have had a loss because we're thinking well you know maybe they won't be thinking about it i'm going to bring it up and that's going to make it worse and usually the opposite is true right usually the person mm-hmm. who's had the loss they're very much thinking about it it's it's first and foremost in their mind and so it's actually quite validating when someone comes along and wants to talk about your person right mm-hmm. and wants to to give you the opportunity to talk about your person not always again it's nuanced it's not a hard and fast rule but i loved it when people would talk about hugo and tell stories about him and um, you know, as much as we want people to feel better, I always encourage, you know, to remind yourself that feelings aren't problems. Mm. Most of us aren't taught that, right? We think that when people feel bad, it's a problem and we need to fix it. And so then we 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 start kind of minimizing the loss or, well, at least, you know, you were young. At least there's, you know, you're going to meet someone else. At least they're not suffering anymore. All these often minimizing statements that start with at least and we're very well intentioned, Mm right? but it's really minimizing. So if you realize, no, whatever that person is feeling, your job isn't to change it. It's okay that they feel that way. Just can you be with them as they feel it and like be that space, you know, to to let Mm -hmm. them have whatever experience they're having without them feeling like they need to act like they feel better. So you feel better.
1: Right. I think that's such a good, point and a good reminder for people that, I mean, frankly, at all stages of our life, we're all going to experience grief of some type. So it is one of those things where it's like, it's good to know, like here, it's not necessarily a bad thing to mention the person, to talk about the experience. Like sometimes that's very healing too. I could, I could see that being a, a huge healing point. Yeah. So with all of, all of your coaching, you're going through this process, you're learning how to work on your own mindset and coach yourself through, through your feelings and your thoughts. When you started doing this, how did you initially start to get your thoughts in order? And like, I can imagine they were really pretty much crappy thoughts in the beginning, like a lot of like negative self-talk, I think as most of us start with. Yes. And then you're learning this new process. Can you talk to us a little bit about your coaching philosophy or the the, the model you were learning to help you through this?
0: Yeah. I mean, I was just really learning, I think, I, I think a lot of us who are attracted to coaching, have been lifelong learners. We've been interested in growth. So sometimes what we're learning in a coaching program isn't necessarily brand new information as much as it is kind of a coming home to information that in in some way that we already knew. And so that was kind of what it was like for me. It was like, oh yeah, I know this, but I have forgotten, right? I know that Mm -hmm. I am not my thoughts, but, but I have forgotten that. And, you know, I know that feelings aren't, you know, aren't problems, but how do I put that into practice? And So the things that worked the most for me were just honestly being consistent about it. Um, I'm kind of that get the a girl that does everything the teacher gives her <laughs> totally like, you give me a workbook I'm filling out every page and that's, that's kind of awesome. what I did right as a, as a client is okay what is this whole thought download thing and how do I do that you know and started doing it started putting my thoughts on paper and started figuring out okay what is the actual you know I, I am from the life coach school you know Burt Castillo she created the self-coaching model and so um, that's the model that I have used, right. Is, is understanding Mm -hmm. that everything fits in one of five lines. You know, it's either going to be a circumstance, thought, feeling, action, or a result. And then how do I make that work for me? And
1: that's, that's what I did. And that's what I teach. That's amazing. When you were initially going through this process, was this something that you had to do every single day? Was it once a week? Like how, how frequently did you do it? Um, well, so like
0: different, so I'm thinking about first, you know, there was therapy that was like weekly. Right. Yeah. That good. was just that was just the opportunity to puke it out and actually yep. tell the story enough times that it actually made sense and I could come to terms with the reality of what had actually happened. Mm-hmm. Most, you know, often in acute grief, early grief, you you can't even think about your thinking because you your brain feels like it's full of cotton candy, and you know, grief fog is a thing, right? Mm-hmm. You can't, you don't have the same access to your prefrontal cortex, so that those early months were just trying to figure out what, what the hell, right? Like, right. Where, where are we? What planet are we on? What just happened? Did that happen? Are we sure? Is he on a business trip? I'm not really sure. Then the segue into coaching was at the point where I could retain information again. I could read and retain, Mm. which for a while I couldn't. Right. Yeah. Yeah that I could read and retain and I could think. And so then it was, for me, pretty consistent, pretty daily. What I was so fascinated by the time I discovered the model. I would actually take agendas from work meetings and I would sit in work meetings and I would draw out models in the meeting of like what I was seeing in the meeting.
1: You oh, know, just awesome.
0: To practice. Yeah, like why are, why is that guy so defensive? I wonder what he's thinking. You know, why is that he is so good. Like? Yeah, and, and I would... movies I would do it on movies and I would hear I would hear models and like songs I would start to everything just kind of started because I was interested in it I think and consistent with it it just kind of
1: changed my my lens that's incredible and then when you were transitioning out of your full-time job what were you doing for work at that time I was in
0: uh, Bombardier Learjet which is unfortunately in my community about to we're not making jets anymore. I used to think that was the safe corporate job, by the way. I know. To about that. Totally not. Um, but I was a project engineer, a manager of project engineers. So I had a degree in communication and basically, you know, master at soft skills. And we would certify things. So we'd certify, you know, an upgrade to an avionics package or whatever, you know, safety issue need to be addressed with the plane. And so I managed the team of project managers who made those things happen. So totally not related to coaching at all. Not but at all always the coach, right? This is what all right. coaches say where they, everybody's already coming to them for coaching. Yep. Right. Which is exactly.
1: Yeah. Well, it's always how it goes. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious too, cause I know a lot of people are always, maybe they're on that, that, that trajectory where they're like, okay, I want to do my own thing. This sounds really exciting, mm-hmm. but I don't know financially if I can make it. Mm-hmm. Was there a point where you were like, I'm all in, I know this can work. Maybe the income wasn't there or maybe it was, I'm not sure. What was your experience like?
0: the craziest story. So I actually quit my job to go work for the life coach school. Oh, whoa. Right. So I quit my job. They offered me a trial job, a 90 day Mm -hmm. trial. I'm the A player. I'm always on the high performer list. I do not fail. Right. This is what I was thinking, of course. Right. Of course, I'm going to nail it. I'm going to nail it. It was a slight pay cut, but I was willing. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. this is opening of a door. Did not work out at all oh no really totally did not work and we're, we're we're it's good now but you know um the founder of the school was at a certain point like it's not you it's me like, <laughs> it's, it's not working <laughs> and so Um, but it was the promise of that job for the school that made it easy for me to leave my job. And then it was just a decision that I made at that point that I wasn't going back, that I was going to make it happen. I could have gone back. They would have, I had a lovely company and I had great relationships there, but I just decided now I was meant to be a coach. I was meant to do this work and I'm going to figure it out. And so I did. And it took me, you know, months before I was profitable, before I actually did figure it out. Um, But I was just like, it's,
1: it's just not an option. Even prince. months though, months is really, that's not bad. I see so many business owners go years without yeah. making any profit. Yeah. So the fact yeah. that you were willing to just, okay, tr- truly, how much of that do you attribute to mindset during that process of getting to profitability? All? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all things that I've
0: learned that I would say fall under the umbrella of mindset work, right? So including being willing to feel terrible and take action anyway, right? Be, just knowing that, okay, the worst part of this really is the feeling. And if I can allow the feeling to pass through my body, then, you know, I can, I can do it. And, um, and also I wasn't, you know, I was willing to coach anybody who wanted to be coached. I wasn't, some people are very specific about their niche. I knew who I wanted to coach, but in, in the process of building that business, I would absolutely coach anyone. And I also kept putting myself, even though it didn't work out with the life coach school, I kept raising my hand for opportunities with them. Right? Okay, And, and so that led me to, you know, uh, work for Carl Owenthal, who's another coach. And so I worked inside of her program for about a year and a half as I was building my own business. I was getting, she trusted me with her clients. I was getting experience nice. there. It was money coming in. Um, and then eventually started teaching for the life coach school. So didn't so work out cool at the other position, but yeah. So I had multiple streams of income as I was figuring out how do I make money in my niche?
1: Super smart. And you, you mentioned you had kids.
0: Do you have two kids? Yeah. I have a 17 year old and a 14 year old.
1: Yeah. Oh, fun. Mm-hmm. That's so exciting. Yeah. Cause I, I okay. can imagine all of the pressure. I have a friend that lost her husband. He was 42, I believe. And during this whole process, he was a business owner. She was a business owner, but he took most control over the money. Like he was mostly the person that, you know, had the account set up, did everything, like had the life insurance in place, all that stuff. And one of the most interesting things that I watched and observed through her process was her trying to figure out the financial piece on top of grieving. Nightmare. It was insane. So I'm curious if you have any any tips or suggestions for partners on you know what do do we do so that we don't have to go through this crap well here's some of the crap i went through so uh
0: i didn't know any passwords yeah yeah, we have to write these things down. We have oh, so to smart. That, get LastPass, get some sort of system. I, there's no plug for me from LastPass. I'm not an affiliate or anything, if that even is a thing. But get some system, some trusted system, where you have recorded where things are, and including your phone, right? I did know how to get, get into his him. phone. And a lot of his um, things were you know, dual access. Mm-hmm. So I would try to log into something, and then it would send me a code to his phone. And I've seen so many widows just, they're in a world of hurt when they can't access this information, or they don't know they don't know how to get it you know um make sure your beneficiaries are updated Mm. yeah oh no yeah so so hugo's my second marriage and his beneficiary was not updated and guess who his beneficiary was first wife. stop it stop first wife and and we had never spent time together in a room before until we were in the intensive care unit like wow from Eve. And, and we worked it out and it was amazing, but that is not the story that I hear from a lot of people. Right. So you, so those little eyes dot dots on eyes and crosses on T's <laughs> let's, let's handle those in advance. Um, and then also I think we hear all the time, don't make big decisions in the first year after a loss. That is yeah. completely ridiculous. You cannot not make big decisions in the first year after a loss. It will be a lot easier to make decisions if you already have a trusted financial person in your corner, right? If you already have a financial planner. And then the last thing I'll say about that is that all of your money mindset stuff will come up, right? The death of a spouse or partner is, is it's just like every, every insecurity you ever had around money, every money block, every anything, it's going to come up from the ground and show itself. So you can do yourself a big favor not because you're morbid and planning for the death of your spouse, but like figure out your money mindset now. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that will resolve all of the issues because it will still be very challenging. But if you can do that work now and understand what are these unconscious beliefs I've picked up about money my whole life that most of them I got from my parents and, you know, whatever that are in questions, exactly what you teach, right? You you, mm-hmm. you hire a coach or you do the work to make that not be a barrier an added barrier that you have to deal with.
1: Yeah. Okay. So I I hear passwords.
0: They never heard a thing about money mindset, right? They've never done any of that work. It's complete news to them.
1: Which is so insane to me. And I, and I know like in this line of work, that's my own, bias because I see mm-hmm. positive mindsets all day long. But it it's so interesting to to remind ourselves and even our loved ones, like having that like delicate coffee conversation of like, hey, have you have you checked your beneficiaries? What is, you know, when you hear a mindset thing, oh, that's interesting that you said that. Where does that come from? Just like very subtly exploring that stuff, mm-hmm. I think, is so interesting to me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So okay, passwords mm-hmm. and then beneficiaries. beneficiaries. Yep. Work on and your own mindset.
0: mindset. Work on your mindset and have somebody that you trust, even if it's not, you know, a financial planner, but somebody that you trust who in the moment where you need an outside perspective and you can't trust your own brain, you've got somebody to help you.
1: It's really, really good advice. Is there anything else that you wish you would have done beforehand, maybe?
0: (sighs) Well, here not me personally, but a lot of women don't have conversations about these kinds of things. So especially, I see it happen a lot in um, long-term care situations where there's a terminal illness. And so sometimes the thought is, well, you know, we don't want to talk about it because talking about it is basically saying we give up or you know mm-hmm. changing things or it would you know be bad, bad luck, right to to talk about what happens if they die. Mm -hmm. And so we avoid the conversations. And then we didn't have the conversations, right? And Mm -hmm. we don't know what the wishes were or we don't know. Like, I didn't really know. um, Hugo had a, um, his his first wife had a son. It wasn't his biological son, but he was Lance's dad his entire life. And I didn't know how much money Hugo would have left Lance. Oh, man, yeah. And so I had to figure that out for myself. It would have been a lot easier if I had had that conversation in advance. Right. Mm. So, so, but that's very minute, I think in terms of what I experience compared to what I see my clients go through, which is where they just didn't talk about anything. Didn't know anything, you know, just didn't know whether they had life insurance, didn't know they
1: didn't. Man. And all of this could be fixed with like a, a simple conversation and documenting everything. Dang. That's insane to me, and I I really wanted to talk to you too about this whole concept of what you call the wealth purgatory. Mm-hmm. I have not heard of this before, so can you explain like what this actually means? Yeah, it's a term I made up, <laughs> but, <laughs> that but makes but sense it, why I've never heard it. I was,
0: yeah, trying to figure out a way to describe what I was seeing people go through, mm. which is um, often what happens when you know we think if we haven't done money mindset work, we think that more money or lots of lots of money, whatever that is. Is going to make us feel safe and secure. Totally. Right? And we don't anticipate that with a lump sum of money, like a life insurance payment, that there might be some mental drama about that money. Oh, yeah. And so where I see people end up is having more money than they've ever had before sometimes. Now, sometimes it's the total opposite, and that's a whole different sure. problem, where they go from a two-income you know, earner household to nothing, or ugh, there's some really ugly financial situations on the other end. But they sometimes end up with more money than they've ever had, and they're more scared than they've ever been, right? Right. They feel resentful that they have this money. Sometimes they get angry about having this money. They consider it, you know, money they didn't want. They don't want other people to know they have this money. They're afraid they're going to lose this money, right? And so they're literally in a place they thought would make them happy and secure, and they are Mm. completely miserable and either trying to repel the money or unable to spend the money, and it's just, it's purgatory. Oh, totally.
1: Yeah. It's like extreme scarcity too of like, I can't spend this because I may never get it again. And it's weird.
0: Or like decisions that are just, you know, so many women uh, I've coached so many women on, they don't want to go back to work, but they tell themselves they should. Right. Interesting. the The math doesn't add up to them needing to work sometimes, but they will make not working You know, or not earning their own money or not earning a particular amount of money mean that they're lazy or, that you know, um, worry so much about what other people are going to think or that they're not contributing. Just have all sorts of thoughts that keep them away from what they really want, which is to not go back to work.
1: Mm hmm. But it's that all that that mental drama, the clutter that we just the stories we tell ourselves, where do these stories come from? Is this just stuff we make up, or is this stuff we learn from society?
0: I think it's mostly just stuff stuff we pick up unconsciously. I think it's mostly yeah. stuff that we pick up when we were little. And yeah, from other things too. but you know, when the money work that I've done, for sure, I can hear my dad's voice. I can hear mm. my grandmother's voice. I feel like a lot of that stuff. And I love my dad. So it's no insult at all to my dad. Very hardworking people. But, you know, money doesn't grow on trees. Um, You know, you have to work hard for money. It takes money to make money. You know, all of those kinds of little things that I really never questioned um, Mm. until I actually did some of this work and then started seeing, oh, wow, I do have a lot of stories about money. Yeah. And even so recently, so my, you know, coaching business it's going very well, bought a house this year. And oh my goodness, all the drama. in my Oh, life. really? Holy cow. It was like, I felt like I paid for a mastermind and a house at the same time. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> all of my thoughts about rich people and you don't belong and there's them and there's us and oh, the, yep. what it means to live in the neighborhood that I live in and just all sorts. It's just like the next the next layer of junk came up to the forefront. I was like, Oh wow, we still have some money work to do here.
1: Mm -hmm. Do you think you're ever done with money work?
0: Mm -hmm. I'm going to guess. No, I want to say yes, but I don't, I don't know. I, here's what I, I suspect. I suspect that with, as with any other area of growth for me, that every time I, I decide to grow in a particular way, and it feels terrible, and all the limiting beliefs come up, and I work through those. Then I accomplish what it is that I'm trying to do, and then I get bored, or I get an idea for the next thing that I want to do. It's like that's the way it's been with money. So I remember thinking, 100K is like, well, you've made it when you get to 100K, mm-hmm. you know. And I got to 100K, and I was like, wait, what is this? Is like, is that it? Like, it not feel any fighting. different. It wasn't it didn't feel any different? I didn't feel any safer. I didn't feel anything. And, and then it's like, okay, well, you know, what about a, a, you know, $20,000 month, you know, you know, what about $150,000 quarter and, you know, just having these, um, milestones. And so I, I think every mile, every time I decide to grow as it relates to money, the next stuff comes up. So I'm pretty sure I'll probably never stop deciding to grow. My guess is that the money stuff will keep coming up. I think what happens for me, I don't know if this is true for you. I think I'm getting faster at recognizing it, yeah, totally. like I've normalized the drama. I've normalized that you know, it's gonna happen, and then I'm quicker to go, oh, yeah, this is the part where you think all your friends are gonna leave you because you know, of the money that you're making, or, oh yeah, this is the part where your grandfather's right. Voice is. you know, like you're leaving money on the table. Don't walk away from, you know whatever that opportunity
1: is. and, and the just, se- secure job, <laughs> right? which, yeah, let's yeah. talk about that. That's fascinating to me. Well, I just, so before I had done
0: early in my twenties, I owned a couple of fitness centers. Oh, cool. Yeah. And so I was a part of a franchise and in the beginning it was very successful financially. It gave me more than anything, the lifestyle I wanted. And I had both of my babies when I was there and, you know, had a little bit of flexibility, but there came a point where it just started to go in the tank and I didn't really have mindset work then. I didn't really understand my thoughts, cause my feelings and some of those things, um, so maybe it would have been different if I had had those tools then. But fast forward to almost filing bankruptcy, right? And just the what I felt at the time was a big burden of having these employees that I was trying to to pay and make sure that their livelihood was taken care of it was very stressful. And so That's a lot of pressure. I, it was a lot of pressure. So I ended up taking a full time job. Where, which is where I was working when Hugo died, and trying to run these two companies. Of course, eventually I wasn't successfully doing both, so I just stayed where the safe place was. And it's so silly because literally a month after I got hired in that job, they started laying off. I mean, they, when when I started, you know, aviation is an incredibly fickle industry. And yeah, I live in in Kansas in Wichita, and so we're considered the the air capital of the world. Make a lot of planes here, and so we went from like a four-day production rate to everybody's getting laid off slow down slow down slow down and it was a roller coaster the whole time I was there you know mm-hmm. you can tell yourself you're safe um but you know I think you're it's I prefer being the boss of my business right and being yeah. the boss in that way as opposed to trying to stay in the good graces of an employee. and I look at yeah. a lot of my friends and they're just really up a creek right now do you do when entire production lines shut down and have anything to do with that decision it wasn't because you did a bad job i was there one day this happened to hugo uh the entire they shut down one program the they basically sent out a memo that said if you are in these cost centers go to this hangar if you are in these cost centers go to this hangar at whatever time and then they told everyone in the one hangar you're okay you're safe everyone in the other hangar go get a box Oh my gosh! And they and so Hugo was in the the hangar. They got walked out. It was all by cost center, and eventually they ended up wow. reshuffling and pulling some of those people back, and then laying off other people. But there's no safety there.
1: No, there's not. I noticed this a lot too with with COVID when that officially started breaking breaking out. There were so many government employees that were furloughed, and historically, government is like the safest job. Yeah, yeah. that was insane. And so I think what that really did is it shook a lot of people's mindsets, too, where they're like, crap, my whole life, I thought I was safe here. And now I'm laid off. What do I do?
0: Yeah, yeah. And when you've niched yourself down, you know, some of those folks that I used to work with, they're really good at their jobs, but they're really, really specific jobs. Mhm. And so it's not it's not easy to just go to another company and take that same especially engineering right that same exact right. knowledge base and find employment. But so yeah, you know long story short I think I just realized that safety does not come from a number and it does not come from anything external, right? It comes from the way that we think, right? We create our own safety with our
1: Was that a tough one for you to really learn?
0: Hugely, hugely tough for me to learn. It actually though I'll say, I kind of think about it in two different aspects. It was easier for me to learn it financially and harder for Mm. me to learn it emotionally. Mm, What do you mean by that? Meaning that I could kind of see how my actions would create my finances. Mm -hmm. My my mindset would create my actions essentially. But so I could see that pretty quickly and that I had been in such a volatile industry. It was easy for me to see that it really wasn't quote unquote safe. But emotionally, I think I thought other people created my safety emotionally. That was part of master coach training for me was um, really realizing that actually, no, I could do that no matter where I was. That other people could say things to me and other people could behave in certain ways, but there was nothing anyone could ever do to take away my emotional safety. That I was was powerful enough to create that for myself. Um, And that felt really big to me and much harder to come to.
1: It was a tough one for me too, and to be honest, it's still one that I still sometimes struggle with. Is like really trusting yourself, really trusting that process. It's hard as a, as an entrepreneur. Sometimes it's really scary, and it can be exciting once you get through it. But man, going through it, it's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, and I don't
0: even think that ever really ends. I mean, I notice I'm, I'm true now about it, but still, even sometimes I'm worried about numbers.
1: Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. That's, I mean, business, that really is at this stage in your business too. Do you, you, I I presume you have a few employees, right?
0: All contractors.
1: Nice. I like it. Good job. I like it that way too.
0: Almost everything I can outsource. I'm a big fan of who, not how, you know, just find the right who's and then, you know, spend time in your zone of genius. And so that's what, that's what I've tried to do as
1: I've been able to afford it, you know, is hire people to help me with different aspects. I love that. I think that's really good advice too. I'd love to wrap up this conversation with a kind of a question around what people that think that they want to coach, they're ready, maybe they've gone through the the counseling, the therapy. Like they're they're at a point now where they understand their past experiences and they're ready to now move forward and they're ready mm-hmm. to have a better life. How do they identify a good coach. There's a lot of coaches out there and I know they're not all phenomenal. So how do we identify the right coach? What, any advice for people looking for one?
0: I think that might be why I'm such a podcast fan. Yeah, totally. Because, because I think you can just really get to know someone so much through their podcast. I mean, I did, I had never met, you know, my coach and I totally trusted her by the time I hired her. I felt like I had listened enough to her that I understood how she coached. I understood her coaching philosophy. It felt like a fit to me because I had just been listening to her and getting to know her. And so maybe, you know, I mean, obviously if people are looking to hire you, you have a podcast, so they'll, they'll get that feel for that. Right. You kind of know, I talked to a woman today who she said she's following a a few other coaches, um, because now there are more and more widow coaches, right? So she Mm -hmm. said she's following a few other ones, but she just kind of knew that I was for her. And so I think there's that that little that little nudge that we have wherever you have it, right? That just says ah that that's my person. And then when we have a nudge that says eh, that's not my Mm -hmm. person, totally. Listen to that. We got to remember that we're the paying client, right? Exactly. Any anytime we're choosing a mental health person, coach, therapist, whatever we it's sometimes it's like clothes shopping you got to try on a few shirts before you know you find the one that you like and so you remind yourself that your job is not to impress your coach your job is to find your coach right you just Keep looking until you find it
1: yep i agree i think that's yeah. really really good advice krista we've covered a lot of ground i love the concept of the wealth purgatory so good job on on that whole philosophy yeah. it, it encompasses it beautifully it really does I hate to see people suffer there. So if anybody's there,
0: and even if it's not death related, right? Like I know you as a coach could help someone with that. For
1: sure. For sure. I love all the work that you're doing too. So aside from your podcast, the Widowed Mom podcast, mm-hmm. where should people go to learn more about you and all the work that you're doing?
0: Yeah. Coaching with is probably the easiest place. You know, it's just my website. And so there's links to social and all the things and the podcast there. So I'm on Instagram. I love it. Still not TikTok though yet. I don't know.
1: Thinking oh, come it. on. Join us. It's fun. <laughs> well, I'm a, I'm a lurker. I'm a TikTok lurker. Oh, I'm you're not... going to dive in soon. I can already tell. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. It is, it is quite fun. It really is. It's It's been fun to watch that platform grow. Um, and for everybody listening in, everything in the show notes is going to be linked up. So Instagram, podcast, website, all of the future TikTok, all of that stuff is going to be linked up. So if you need to get some resources and some help, that's where you can go to find the links. Chris, is there anywhere else or any downloads or any resources that you think would be really helpful for somebody that is currently going through this really terrible situation?
0: Um, so podcast episodes, there's one called New Widows Start Here. Okay. Um, and there's also one uh, for those who love us. So if you've got someone that you know who's going through a loss and you want to be able to support them better, that's that's the episode for those who love us.
1: And then if okay. you're new to
0: being a widow and some of the earlier um, things, you know, grief, we just don't live in a very grief aware culture. And Mm-mm. so, you know, if you want to learn about like, um, myths of grief, that's a, a pretty common downloaded one that I get, um, or post-traumatic okay. growth. Those are pretty popular ones too.
1: Awesome. Okay. I will definitely link those as well. My friend, before we officially part ways, are you down for some rapid fire questions? Let's do it. I'm ready. Let's, Let's do it. Okay. First question for you. Where's one location you're dying to travel to?
0: Oh, I want to go to Ireland. Yeah, I really want to go to Ireland. There's some Ireland and Scotland obsessed.
1: Yeah, maybe do like both
0: countries and make it a month long trip. And I worked for Lirjet. We had a sister company in Belfast, and I thought for sure I was going to get to go, and I never did. So. Oh my gosh, you have to then. Yes, as soon as <laughs> okay. as soon yeah. as it's I'm like also a big allowed, Outlander fan, so I feel like yeah, I don't know. Just
1: I have not started watching that one yet. It's on my list. I, you're like the ninth person I've heard yeah. from this week. Yeah. No joke. T- tell me to watch oh, that really? show. <laughs> yes, yeah, seriously. that's amazing. Okay. Next question for you. If you, okay. So first and foremost, are you a morning or evening routine person? Oh, much more morning. Okay. What's your current morning routine?
0: Um, well, it kind of depends on the day, but I usually get up and I get coffee and then I will go into my office and sometimes that can be pretty early. And there's a few things that I do. I'm, I'm such a list person. I actually have it on my little like to do list, but like, I'm going to read 10 minutes of something, right? I'm going to do a thought download and coach myself in some way. I'm also a big tapper, um, emotional freedom technique and tapping. I'm, I love that. And so either I will self coach by writing it down or sometimes I'll do tapping, have some affirmations that I read, um, plan my day.
1: Yeah. Beautiful. I love it. That's a great morning routine. Works for me. And coffee, of course. You like, of course, course, right? You have to have coffee. Multiple trips. <laughs> Let's be honest. Yeah, I know. I was going to say, I think I'm on my fourth cup today, so I get right. that. Right, yeah. We're like, <laughs> okay, it's enough now. <laughs> <laughs> Never enough. All right, next question for you. What's one purchase you recently made that has made your life better? Housekeepers.
0: Oh, tell me that more. Can. Yeah. Monday for two hours. There's... I don't know. It depends on the Monday, three to four people that come and clean my house. So, and, and I had had a housekeeper off and on, but I really have struggled. It has been a struggle for me to justify that. And I have finally found the place that says, yes, this is for me, right? It's just such a, you know, there's four kids in my house. My, my boyfriend's two and my two and two dogs and it's a big house and I want to make money with my time and do things I want with my time instead of cleaning toilets. I've cleaned enough toilets in my life. So yeah, it's it, every Monday when they come, I just like so happy.
1: And allowing yourself to have that help too.
0: I, I love that you were able to do that. Yeah, because for so long I lived under, you should be able to do this. You should mm. be able to manage it all. I really did think that it was like, some sort of a character flaw if I couldn't make all the food and clean all the things and take care of the children. And it's just such a lie.
1: I get it. I totally get it. All right. My last question for you is in your opinion, what is the secret to financial success?
0: Well, if you don't have your mind right about money, I mean, it all starts there. I think it it, Every problem, ultimately, you're going to find a thought that's causing it as it relates to money. So, right, I think it's that. And I think it's maybe also secondarily just the willingness to feel feelings and not trying to solve emotional problems, you know, with purchasing or.
1: Yeah, I love it. Thank you so much, Chris. That was such a fun way to wrap up the conversation. I'm so grateful for your time and to learn from you. Thank you so much for talking about your experiences and and what you went through. I, th- I know it will help a lot of people. Totally my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Okay, what'd you think? I had so many takeaways from this. The biggest takeaway for me was the concept of the wealth purgatory. I thought this was such a good concept and it was something that I had not really quite thought of myself either. All right do me the biggest favor. If you did enjoy this episode or you got some value from it, one of the greatest compliments you can give this podcast is first sharing it with somebody that you care about. And second, leaving a five-star review. These are the two biggest things you can do to support a podcast. And if you choose to do that, I'm so grateful for your support. Either way, I will see you on Friday for five tip Friday or next week for another episode of the money nerds podcast. Bye.